Businesses, as you may remember, received a lot of help to get them through May and June. But how are businesses doing now? We'll talk about life for your favorite corner shop with Paula Pant from Afford Anything on today's Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement outside Detroit, Michigan. I'm Joe Salcihi. And I'm Paula Pant. Coming to you from? I am coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> this is the podcast that we do live that we cover, where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today's comes to us from uh, Paula's This Wall Street Journal and New York Times. This is from the New York Times. New York Times. Uh, not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we're going to dive into how they affect your wallet, what you can do then to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll also share a big idea at the end of today's show that you can take with you to be better with money the rest of your day, all in usually less than 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by Acre Trader. I'm a guy that grew up in Southwest Michigan. And one thing I understand is farm country. I also understand it's difficult to be a farmer, but I'll tell you what is attractive. And and that is investing in farmland. It's not for everybody. You want to make sure you understand exactly what the risks are. But to find out the risks and rewards of farm investing, head to acretrader.com forward slash MWF and make sure you use our MWF uh, tag so that they know that we sent you. Well, we didn't scare off. Our good friend Paula Pant from Afford Anything came back for a second day. Uh, that means inherently you can question my judgment. You can totally can quit. I, I've been doing that for a long time. Every week <laughs> we get ready to record a Stacky Benjamins episode. And I'm like, I have no idea why she keeps coming back, but Paula keeps coming back, which is great. <laughs> but, but are you somebody by the way, that, um, that, that, that use the PPP? I did. Yes. I use, I have, uh, funds from the PPP. So I missed the first round of funding ironically because I had coronavirus. Uh, so I completely what an missed excuse, the, fun, the first by the way. round. This is such an excuse, such an excuse. <laughs> I know. Right. Like what, what a reason to miss PPP funding. <laughs> I was sick that day. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just yesterday, very brief tangent, yesterday I was at the doctor's office and they were like, you know, do you have any like relevant um, medical history that we should know about? And I was like, no, no, not really. And then I paused and I thought for a minute and I was like, oh, well, I did just have COVID-19. <laughs> oh. I guess you should probably know that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well. Uh, but, I, I, so, yeah, I missed the first round of PPP funding because ironically, because I had COVID-19, they ran out of money. I was very upset. Uh, then the second round opened up and I, uh, went to the two banks that I, that I use. I use Radius Bank and I use Chase Bank. I went to both of them. Neither of them were accepting new applications. They were completely overloaded. Um, then I went to Gusto, which is my payment processing company, and they linked me to Cabbage. And it was through them that I was able to secure PPP funding. So there was a lot of there were a lot of uh, failed attempts before it finally happened. I was excited too, because for Stacking Benjamins, we employ six people to make that show. And, um, mm -hmm. and I thought it, it was, it was really important for us. Obviously advertising dollars have, have 
dried up. And so to be able to keep people employed and keep the show going, I mean, uh, to some degree, I don't feel like I'm quote essential. We try to be essential, right? We try to make sure that we're putting good product out there, but man, was it great that we could keep people employed. Um, really, really cool. We missed the first round of funding too, even though we got ours in on day one. Like day one, we had ours in and uh, Bank of America, though, had a long line. So um, it, it's it, it's it's uh, crazy. Uh, but Paula chose this fantastic article from The New York Times where they talk about life now after the PPP. And so let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's show. This is Andy from Derby, Vermont. The money talking party starts now. It's time for money with friends. All right. This piece, as we mentioned, is from the New York Times, written by Stacy Cowley, and it's titled Grateful for Aid, but Worried About What Comes Next. Paula, you want to do the honors? Absolutely. The Paycheck Protection Program, the federal government's ambitious effort to keep workers at small businesses off the unemployment rolls through the worst of the pandemic, has provided a financial safety net to more than 4 million companies. For many, the money was a lifeline. It let a trucking company keep paying drivers who would otherwise have been laid off and gave a group of therapists time to adjust to telemedicine and connect with new clients. But the pandemic's devastation continues. Many cities are still shut. Consumers' habits have changed and recharging the economy may take years. Small companies, which employ nearly half of America's workers who don't work in government, typically have thin margins and scant savings. Some fear they won't survive without further help. Even for those who get help, the program's rollout was messy and chaotic, and Congress is arguing over proposed changes. The program offered small companies a loan that would be converted to a grant if they used most of the money for eight weeks of payroll. The earliest loan recipients are near the end of their eight-week relief period. Here's how one business that got a loan from the Paycheck Protection Program's $660 billion fund is faring. Billings, Montana, the company's called Mountain Mud. It's a small chain of coffee kiosks. Tanya Weinrice, the owner of Mountain Mud, remembers the moment her business changed. 9 1 p.m., Friday, March 13th, as she wrapped up a 14 hour shift at her coffee kiosk at the Metro Park Events Center. Mrs. Weinrice had just taken delivery of 60 gallons of milk for the next day's final round of a statewide high school basketball tournament. The announcer got on the speaker and said, don't come back. The tournament was canceled, Mrs. Weinreich recalled. We lost thousands of dollars from just that one day. Mrs. Weinreich has around 50 employees at Mountain Mud's 11 kiosks and pop-up event locations. The Metro Park location was one of her busiest and missing its summer season with events like rodeos, graduation ceremonies, and the annual Montana Fair will leave a crater in her company's sales. But Mrs. Weinreich's business is generally well-suited for a socially distanced world. The kiosk can operate with just a few workers and customers drive through. She's been able to keep nearly all of her other stands running. Mrs. Weinreich received her federal loan check just a few hours in the program's first day, thanks to a team at Yellowstone Bank. Her employees' headcount and hours have stayed fairly cons constant, Mrs. Weinreich said, and she expects to have her loan fully forgiven. She hired several new workers in May and is cautiously optimistic heading into the summer. April was the worst month we've ever had, but May so far has been better, she said, based on 
beyond that, I'd like to think we'll be in good shape to continue operating without needing any more funding. I'm very hopeful. This was a great program, and I feel very thankful for it. By the way, the piece itself is much, much longer, more than we have time to do, guys. But if you'd like to read it, it's at, uh, it's on the New York Times. And if you just pop the headline, I'm sure, into Google or Bing, you'll be able to find and read some other examples. But I think, Paula, that gives us the, the, the what we what, what we needed. What are you, what are you laughing about? Uh, the fact that you still bring up Bing. <laughs> if, if, you, if you type it into Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Here's the deal with Bing. I get, and I feel like I'm going in my old guy routine. But the deal with Bing, I wasn't about Bing. And, I'm, and by the way, I'm not about Bing because my kid works for Microsoft. That also is not why. I'm about Bing because if you have a Bing account, they pay you to do what I'm going to do all day anyway. So I very naturally Bing. Google doesn't pay me crap. I get like $20 a year in Amazon rewards to use Bing. So, but yes, I am sure. Right. I, I will, I will ask, uh, I will do a search on Dogpile about it. It's a Dogpile doesn't pay either. I don't like dog. <laughs> ask Jeeves doesn't pay. Bing pays me to search. I'm going to search, search no matter what. Here's, here's, here's the thing is that I do know this too. I know in Redmond, Washington, whenever I log on to Bing, they're like, the user's back. Mm. <laughs> Maybe the one person. Maybe maybe not. Hey, Joe's using it again. That's great. Make sure his search comes up quick. No. Uh, Let's talk about the PPP here. You know, I'm. We look at this this one business, and she was okay. We know a lot of businesses aren't. In fact, I was reading another headline today, Paula, talking about how now we're at the point where the wave of uh, foreclosures are beginning, people losing their cars, people beginning to miss payments on their credit cards. Like all the crashing now is yeah. just starting is starting to happen. Do you think we need another round? Yes, absolutely. So right now the economy, we still have forty one million people who are unemployed. Uh, and even the businesses that are opening up uh, have fewer customers. You know, if you think about a restaurant or a hair salon, they have a certain amount of fixed overhead. Yeah, they have to to quite literally turn the lights on. They have to run the air conditioner, which in a place like Southern Nevada, where it's 108, literally 108 degrees outside, um, it is. That's all. That's a lot of expense in terms of the utilities, in terms of reopening, there's a lot of fixed overhead expense. And when you have that kind of fixed overhead with fewer customers, it's hard to just make ends meet. Um, And that is the reality of our economy right now. So far, we have been propped up by PPP funding and by enhanced unemployment benefits, uh, as well as by mortgage forbearance programs. But When PPP funding runs out, when the enhanced unemployment benefits run out, um, and when uh, mortgage forbearance programs demand that people make balloon payments at the end of the forbearance period, rather than just extending out the life of the loan. That's the craziness, by the way. That's the crazy part. That's, I can't, I cannot even imagine if you're a lender and you want to design a system that um, allows you to still earn the money that that you as a lender deserve while also uh, keeping somebody in their house borrowers from the risk of foreclosure, then it just makes sense that if you, if you defer payments for a while, instead of demanding a balloon payment at the end of the forbearance period, just tack that onto the the end of the life of the loan. So rather than a 30 year mortgage, now it's a 30 year and five month mortgage, right? Like why, 
why wouldn't you just create a 30-year and five-month mortgage? Why would you demand a giant balloon? It makes no sense. I, I, I want to ask you not about that because I'm totally with you that I think that whoever designed that is, it, it's, it, it is, don't get me wrong. People have to do what they have to do. And if I got a gamble that between losing my house now and losing it in two months, okay, I'm going to lose it in two months or three months, whatever it might be. But the, and I've also seen some banks, even though those are the terms that the government set out are putting it on the back, even though they don't have to. So, but, but, but still just why those are the rules are beyond me. It, 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 there's, it's, it's, it's incredible. I hope, I hope that if foreclosures begin, uh, that there will be a big enough public outcry that, uh, that the policy will change such that those months get tacked onto the end yeah. because the idea that people could get foreclosed on could lose their home as a result of, of an economic shutdown that was triggered by a virus I haven't, just, I haven't seen one commentator talk about how that makes sense. But let's talk about the rest of what you said, which is which is interesting because, you know, you talked about expanded unemployment benefits. Also, another round of PPP funding. That money's got to come from somewhere. I mean, we've got Ray Dalio talking about how, how you know, all of this borrowing that the country's done at some point has to come to roost. And the, the, the bigger of a percentage that debt repayment becomes for the federal government, the harder it gets to avoid that, that oncoming collision. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you worry about the, the end is near? Um, Morgan Housel has some excellent, excellent writing about this. So Morgan Housel is a writer for the Collaborative Fund and probably one of the best, most insightful thinkers about the financial system as, as a in the big picture. Um, the, the articles that he has written um, look at the last time that America got into a, a giant amount of debt, which was World War II. And what happened after World War II is that the growth of the economy was so strong that it outpaced the the payments on that debt that America had to make. And so it, it even though during World War II, everybody had that same fear, that fear that the country was going to collapse given how deeply in debt we were going in order to pay for the war, uh, the post-war economic boom saved us. And so the question, the operative question becomes, can we have an economic boom after this? Can the rest of the decade of the 20s be the roaring 20s? Can we have an economic boom that is so strong and so healthy that it, uh, that it, that, that that's what saves us from the debt, just as we experienced after World War II? I want to ask you on a uh, on the other side of this, which is, you know, the piece talks about uh, a lot of businesses have razor thin margins and they also have very little working capital between those margins from month to month to some. A friend of mine was a banker when I lived in Texas. We would go to lunch every Friday and 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 I would ask him about the average company that comes to him. And he said, you won't believe how many first time entrepreneurs come to the table. They don't have anywhere near enough capital. Like the biggest problem with entrepreneurs in general is when they get an idea, they start it with far too little backing and far too little money. To some degree though, isn't that their own fault? I mean, don't get me wrong. We have to have compassion for, for business people. And these are way extenuating circumstances that are different. But if I start up a business and I don't have an emergency fund to get me through a few months of difficulty. Don't am I kind of complicit? 
I would say it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Um, uh, it is very hard for a lot of small business owners, especially brick and mortar business owners, to make any type of uh, a profit. And um, and when they get hit with multiple multiple black swan events all at the same time, you know, I would not say that it's anybody's fault, but I certainly do think that this has illustrated the importance of. Uh, accepting the responsibility of building out very strong cash reserves, a very strong emergency fund. There's another piece to this too, which is, it also seems to me that during this crisis, this particular company we profiled, uh, you know, has a model that, that will probably be okay. And the fact that Mm -hmm. it's a kiosk and you can social distance, bring it through it, not much pivoting that you got to do there, Paula, but other businesses may need to pivot a lot. I feel like this is a big time for a business owner to be on their game. And I feel like when I talk to people, a lot of people are putting their head, uh, you know, in the sand, hoping that things just get better. The government saves them or whatever it might be versus thinking about how do I pivot to maybe find an opportunity here? Yeah, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult question because there are some businesses that inherently uh, require close social proximity. You know, uh, um, uh, hair salons or massage studios. You know, you can't massage somebody from six feet away. So, how do you how do you continue to run that business in an era of social distancing? You know, certainly there are restaurants that can that can expand or improve or emphasize their takeout. Yeah. Um, like, you know, that that's an example of a way that that type of a business can fit. Uh, but yeah, if you have a, a company that requires being physically close to another person, um, I'm not sure for some of those companies, like, you know, again, going back to the like m- massage example, how, yeah. how do you pivot that? I don't know. Uh, all I know is as you talk, I, I, I just want a haircut so bad. I just want a haircut so bad. <laughs> and I don't want to cut it myself. I don't want to cut it like our friend J.D. Roth did where he said, screw it, and I'm just shaving it off. I don't want to. I want a real haircut, and I want a pro to do it. That's like my number one goal right now. Um, the, it's important it's, to have goals. It's important. Big goals too. Big, big. Well, yeah. today that is a big goal. Uh, uh, there's, there's, there's so many questions. I also think about uh, during this, this time period, I think about always making sure you have a wide palette of skills, right? I think it's a great mm-hmm. time to have many different skills versus have just one set of skills. Like, I love the idea of people that went deep in a certain area, but man, now I have a real appreciation for somebody that can go from being a massage therapist to being a truck driver or whatever it might be. Mm, yeah, exactly. But there are still those people, the owners of those small businesses that have rents that they have to pay um, on those brick and mortar establishments. I think that's that's where the need for PPP funding. Um, you know, Joe, you made the point that one way or another, the government's going to be paying um, either in the form of PPP funding or in the form of unemployment. So if the government's going to be paying one way or the other, we may as well keep people on the payroll because if they're on the payroll, then they can exchange labor for capital. Yeah, I sounded um, sound smart 
when I said that. Yeah. It was, no, it was, a, it was a great point because it, it perfectly answers the question, why should we fund small businesses? Well, because if we don't, we're going to be paying regardless. We're going to be paying in the form of unemployment. Um, so so let's, let's design a system that keeps people employed. It's... It, 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 and it is so interesting. I mean, you know, I, I read what Ray Dalio said about how bad stuff's around the corner with all this borrowing. And that's when I thought about that, Paula, I'm like, there's no way around it. And I, I think mm-hmm. even, you know, maybe he said it, uh, uh, before me, I don't remember if I got that from him or if I have brilliance in my brain, but he, but he, but, but, but I did think during that, during reading that I'm like, well, w- what's the easy way? I think there's a lot of people out there talking about how there's an easy way out and there just isn't there isn't one. Right. Uh, we definitely don't even have an easy way out of this discussion, but we can have a big idea that you take away from this in just a moment. Paul is going to say something incredibly brilliant and I'm going to say me too, but, uh, but yes. And more of that. I agree is what I'll say. No, I'll probably have one too. But before we get to that, just want to say a few words about our sponsor, Acre Trader. You know, growing up in Southwest Michigan, I made a ton of money as a kid, a ton of money, meaning enough to buy a 12-speed bike, bam, working in cornfields and then also working in soybean fields. And I know two things, Paula. I know, number one, mm-hmm. being a farmer is difficult. And if I said, hey, invest in being a farmer, you should say, no way, no thank you. But I also know that when it comes to farmland, if you're not a farmer, if you're somebody that believes we always need farmland, and that's whether times are good or times are bad, and we're always going to need to eat, and we believe that fields are things that we're going to need, owning a piece of that field and then renting it to the farmer where you get a consistent income stream over time and a value of land appreciating, and by the way, less and less farmland all the time. Maybe there's a compelling investment for you. I like it, which is why we talk about it, but it's not for everybody. And it is, you have to be an accredited investor. And there's something to Bing, Paula. There's something to Bing is the words accredited investor to find out what that's all about. But your money is locked up, meaning you can't just go get it whenever you want it. You own a piece of a field. So for more on that, though, check out acretrader.com forward slash MWF. And please use MWF because that tells them that we sent you there. And um, big thanks to everybody who's done that. And, And by the way, when you're there, there's a cool explainer video that shows, you know, a lot of people during times like this get into gold which gives me a little bit of an eye roll. I believe there's a piece for gold, but loading up on gold, not something I'm a huge fan of. But um, but when you look at farmland versus gold, there's a compelling, compelling argument there. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, Paula, what's our big takeaway today? I'd say our takeaway is that the, the way that the economy will shape out over the, the rest of 2020 is largely going to depend on uh, what the government decides to do. Will there be another round of PPP funding? Um, you know, what 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 decisions are they going to make? Will mortgage forbearance programs uh, be modified so that people aren't stuck with big balloon payments? You know, we don't know the answers to those questions, and so um, any temptation to predict what might happen based on the development of the COVID nineteen vaccine or based on like we have those those external factors that we can't control and then we also have the added variable of what is the government going to do in response and there's just no way to predict how the government will respond and that's going to influence 
how the future is going to go, especially this year. Yeah. And I don't want this to be like a, a Dr. Phil moment, Paula, where it's like, so how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I do want to say that during this whole thing, you know, the idea of flexibility and trying to buy yourself as much flexibility as possible makes a bunch of sense to me. Yesterday, you and I talked a little bit about, about uh, people liking great tech strategies. But a problem with mm -hmm. tech strategies is they generally, to some degree, lock you in. A problem with right. Acre Trader, right? What I just talked about is that you're locked in to some degree, keeping money flexible makes a ton of sense. Now there's a problem with flexibility, flexible money generally might not earn a lot. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, and it might sit there for a few years. I remember the last couple of years, a lot of people fighting me on emergency funds and whether you should even have one. And now I don't think there's many people fighting today. I think it's, it's been clear like this, this is what we're waiting for and, uh, trying mm -hmm. to get a great ROI on everything, not always, always the best move. So, um, yeah. whenever you're doing your planning, planning for flexibility, and by the way, waiting for the government to do something, not a great strategy. The government does do something. Man, I'm with Paula. I frankly here will vote that I hope something. I hope they do get another round, um, even though it's more. There's just no easy way out of it. Um, but uh, if I'm a business owner, I hope for the best, but I plan for the worst. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, most of us are now living through our second once in a lifetime economic collapse, right? <laughs> like we, we lived through this a, a dozen years ago and we're living through it again. Are you making so fun I of think, me because I lived through one before that? Is that making fun which, of me? Is that an old guy joke? Which, the tech wreck in that? 2000 to 2002, I had that one. That, that the, felt, the, I got to tell you, that felt like the big, end of the world. But, but was it once in a generation? Was that what people were saying at the time? At, at the time, it felt unbelievably horrible. I, hmm. I, I don't know what, what uh, all I know is my clients were down sometimes 50, 60%. And imagine that yeah. you, you'd done a good job of saving. You made it to retirement. You were fairly conservative. And even those people lost, you know, say you saved a million dollars. You lost 350,000 bucks and you hmm. thought it was in fairly safe places. So it felt like the end of the world. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I am not old enough to remember that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was specifically an old guy. No, 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 no. I, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, I, I know the dot com bubble burst, right. You had the dot com bubble burst and you had nine 11. Um, I did not remember. Uh, I was too young to remember the magnitude of that collapse. It was, it was, it was ugly. It was equally. Yeah. All three of them. Wow. Yeah. I don't wow. know which one of them made my hair go away but it is not gone. <laughs> Paula, besides being here hanging out with us and nice job on your first two appearances, we'll see Paula again in a month with I'm sure some more fun stuff, but uh, where can they find you usually? You can find me on the Afford Anything podcast, where on that podcast, we deep dive into topics around how to manage your money during a pandemic, um, how to, if, if you are a small business owner, strategies that can help you stay afloat so all of that is on the Afford Anything podcast, which you can download anywhere where you download podcasts. Where finer podcasts are distributed. Absolutely. Only the finest podcast. <laughs> the best podcast. All right. On behalf of Paula, I'm Joe. We'll see you next time back here at Money with Friends. Bye-bye, everybody. This 
This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2020. Ryan Sini and Nicole Thornhill from Pro Podcast Solutions engineered this show and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be a part of the show. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or other video or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Money with Friends.